Hello and welcome back to Instant Mom. Fairly regularly, I will get a message from a woman considering taking on motherhood solo. First of all, I never take those messages for granted because it is so cool that we have that option now that even if you haven't found a partner or maybe you don't want to find a partner, that you can still become a mother or a parent on your own. I love that. But it's always a really tough question to answer without being super cliched. You know, if someone asks you, hey, when do I know if it's the right time to have kids? Or can I really pull off solo motherhood? It's so easy to rely on these cliches like, oh, you're never really ready. There's never a perfect time. It's all joy and no fun and your life will be miserable at times, but it's the most amazing thing ever and you won't even remember your life before kids. Those are all the responses that I would hear before I had children and I would just roll my eyes at them. (laughs) So today I'm going to give my best shot at addressing this question from a very practical standpoint. And to do that, I am dividing up preparedness for solo motherhood into three main buckets. The first being financial readiness, the second being logistics and lifestyle, and the third being mental and physical health. So let's start with finances first. And I put this one first because even if you are mentally and physically ready, even if your lifestyle is in a good place to have a child, if you can't actually afford to take care of a child, it's kind of a non-starter, right? So I think the the financial part is perhaps the most important part because uh, if you if you can't afford a child right now, then like the rest doesn't really matter. Um, I also want to say that what I'm going to talk about is sort of the best case practical scenario financially. Because of course, there have been people with absolutely no money who are dirt poor, who have raised children alone and have been amazing parents. And on the other hand, you could also wait to win the lottery to have children. (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to look at this through a realistic level of comfort and preparedness. Um, My favorite part and the first part that I would advise is to start a spreadsheet. And I love a good spreadsheet. Um, But do the legwork of figuring out how much a child is actually going to cost in your area. I mean, that that sounds like I'm telling you to buy a child. That's not what I meant. (laughs) I meant find out what the expenses related to raising a child are in your area. And then compare that against your existing budget and see how much room you comfortably have for these basic expenses. The areas that I'll cover here in a second are obviously sort of the bare minimum and having a child is much more expensive than just the cost of these items. There are always unexpected things you don't plan for, the fun stuff. But if you can't comfortably make room in your existing budget for the bare necessities, then it's probably a good idea to save for another year or two before you consider this any further. Or maybe it can help you adjust your savings goals if this is something that you really want to pursue. The first thing you need to consider is the initial nursery setup. Look, people can go crazy with this, but don't let the Instagram influencer culture fool you. Babies actually need very, very little, and the rest is just to impress other adults. Um, My number one recommendation as you're kind of piecing this together is go secondhand. Most of the things that I'm going to list are only designed to be used for a year or sometimes just a few months, depending on the baby's stage. And so 
If you go to a great secondhand store, there's a chain in our area called Once Upon a Child that I love. You can find these items at a fraction of the cost and you would never even know they were used. And my favorite part, even more favorite than the cost savings, is that these things are already assembled for you when you buy them from a secondhand store. Like it is a bitch to have to assemble a crib. Um, And if I can get one pre-assembled and it's going to cost me a third of the price, like hell yes, that's what I'm going to do. So here are the bare minimums that you need. You need a crib, a baby carrier, clothes for the baby and a place to store the baby's clothes, bottles, pacifiers, a baby bathtub, a baby hygiene kit and some first aid medical supplies, swaddles, a car seat and a stroller. Those are going to be your big ticket items. You can't buy a car seat secondhand. That's not legal and you probably wouldn't want to anyway, even if you found one at a garage sale because you don't want to compromise baby safety. And a stroller, you can get good strollers really inexpensively, especially secondhand. But this is an item some people like to splurge on because a good stroller can take you from birth all the way to like four and five years old. Um, And yes, sometimes you use a stroller for a four and five year old, especially if you're, you know, going to the zoo or something where there's just a ton of walking involved. A white noise machine, maybe a baby swing. People will try to get all these baby containers, like a swing, a bouncy seat, a jumper. Like, first of all, they're they're not recommended by pediatricians. They can impede baby's growth and development. They're clunky, they're ugly, and they're expensive. So don't waste your money. Maybe get one thing, like a swing, to start with. And that's really it. Like, I realize there's a whole multi-billion dollar industry to market all of these other products that you think you need and you can't live without, but most of them end up being more work than they save and they cost a ton of money. So, you know, just be smarter. Once you have your baby basics, you'll also need to think about childcare, a nanny, a daycare, an au pair, et cetera. Do not think that just because you work from home, you can work from home with a baby. I will save that story for another episode. I tried that when I first started fostering and it was miserable. Any parent will tell you that you cannot be an attentive parent and a good employee if you are working from home full time with a child. So you will need some kind of child care, assuming you are actually working. Um, Now, for if you're thinking about solo parenthood as a foster parent in some states, um, there are uh, there is assistance to help cover daycare costs. So for foster parents in some states, you can qualify for CCDF, which are vouchers for child care. Um, but I would also say still don't bank on those. Oftentimes there is a wait list to get that voucher and you might have to cover child care on your own for weeks, months, sometimes even a year or two before a voucher would kick in. And even if you do get a voucher, not every daycare accepts accepts them. And in fact, I've found that very few accept them. And sometimes they're not in the areas that are convenient to you, or there just aren't any open spots available because most daycares have very long wait lists. So I would say, yes, absolutely. Use any help and vouchers that you can get if you're a foster parent, but make sure that you have the money to pay for childcare until or unless those kick in. So there's that you will need to pay for formula. Um, On average, a baby's going to go through 14 cans per month, give or take their age. 
And each can of formula on the low end is $25 if you need a more specialized type of formula because they've got um, reflux or something else, then you can be looking at $40 a can. So you want to ballpark for at least $350 a month for formula sort of on the low end. Again, if you're a foster parent, um, all foster children automatically receive WIC regardless of their foster parent's income, and that can help offset the cost of formula and baby food. Um, But you also pay for it with your time. You've got to show up to in-person appointments at the WIC office. You have to bring the baby with you to prove that the baby is in your possession. Um, You are limited to the types of formula you can buy. So um, sometimes more specialized formulas aren't covered. So again, great if you have that benefit. Benefit, but you might want to put some money in your budget in case that benefit doesn't ultimately work out for you. You'll want to pay for diapers. Um, children go through approximately 250 diapers per month. So uh, cost that out for yourself as well. Then you have healthcare costs. If you're a foster parent, luckily we don't have to worry about this. Foster children are on the state insurance, which is great. But if you're a solo parent through adopting, or you're going to conceive yourself, you'll want to figure out how much does it cost to add a dependent on your health insurance and what do those co-pays look like? You want to also figure out the cost of a maternity leave. Do you get a maternity leave? Is it unpaid? How are you going to get income during that time? So figure out what that looks like for you financially. And then, of course, babies don't keep. That infant stage is only lasting a year. So you also want to plan for some of the bigger ticket um, items and costs that you might have for an older child. So think about the school system. Would you send your child to your public school? If so, great. If not, how much is is a a private school in your area? What about preschool? Um, Daycares don't necessarily also offer preschool. So you'd want to cost out what a preschool might look like. Um, you know, there are other costs that you want to figure out and add in there. Or if you're just uh, interested in adopting an older child, you want to think about things like, uh, you know, they're growing constantly. So for Jack, I have to buy him a whole new wardrobe basically every season. So you want to cost that in. There's field trip costs. There's the cost of things like soccer and summer camp. Um, A lot of people forget about summer care costs because even if your child is in public school and that costs you nothing, school is out during the summer and you have six to 10 weeks where you've got to pay for childcare somewhere. So price all of that out, put it in a spreadsheet, see what that comes out to each month or each paycheck. And then I suggest taking that money that you came up with, that figure of what it would cost for the bare necessities for a, a, a baby or a young child, And each month, put that money aside and don't spend it. And do that for a couple of months to get a feel for how comfortable that is for your budget. Again, of course, people have raised children well with nothing. But I can tell you that raising a child on your own is incredibly stressful, even when you don't have to worry about how am I going to pay for this and where is the money coming from? So if at all possible, you want to make sure that you are in a really solid financial situation. So that is at least one stress that you can cross off your list. So once you've determined that you have enough money to accommodate the basic needs of a child, you now need to figure out the logistics um, and the lifestyle that you might have. And part of that is deciding, do you even want children at all? 
You know, it's interesting to me that parenthood is the biggest decision you can make, and it's the only one you can't get out of, right? You can sell a house, you can divorce a spouse, you can quit a job, you can return a pet or a purchase, but yet people prepare for parenthood the least. I mean, when I bought my car two years ago, I spent weeks researching my purchase and looking at all these different reviews and test driving and, you know, figuring it out, but I don't know many people who have spent weeks researching the idea of parenthood before deciding if they do or they don't want children. And we romanticize parenthood and wanting children, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, we make this newborn phase look like it's all snuggles and beautiful golden hour photos and these, you know, perfect little Instagram images, but it's brutal. You know, you're exhausted, you're full of frustration and rage sometimes, you're envious, you're wondering like what the fuck you got yourself into, you might be resentful, you may regret it all. That's a common experience and it's totally normal and yet we so rarely talk about that. Not to mention, of course, all of the physical recovery that you might have if you decide to be a solo parent by choice and you get pregnant and and have the baby yourself, right? So, you know, as you're thinking about, do I even want children? You have to sort of push past this, do I want a cute, snuggly baby? Because first of all, you only have a baby for a year. (laughs) And it's actually not all that wonderful, or at least not as wonderful as some of these Instagram influencers will make you think. Like, don't get me wrong. Having a baby is very wonderful. There are days where I just think about Jack's infancy and like how I can barely remember it now and how I wish I could go back there. But I do remember being in the trenches and just being like exhausted and worn down and being like, what have I done? So I think if possible, you want to spend as much time with children as you possibly can to sort of understand the reality of it. Um, You know, take your nieces and nephews and cousins and your friends' kids for a weekend. And trust me, they will let you if any of my, you know, real life good friends are listening to this and they want to take Jack for a weekend. uh, I will absolutely let you do that. Um, or, you know, volunteer at a children's program, become a respite foster parent, which is where you just take very short-term foster placements um, for other foster parents while they might go out of town or if they are sick or something like that. It's essentially like a babysitting for a couple of days. If you leave those experiences and you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad that's over, then kids might not be right for you right now, right? If you can't handle your nieces or nephews for two days, then maybe parenthood isn't something that you should consider at the moment. And people will always say, but it's different when the kid is yours. And that's true for better or worse. Um, People think it's so much easier when they're yours. And in some cases, that is accurate. You can sort of shape them into what you want them to be. You, um, you know, can approach discipline the way that you would like to. Uh, You know, you, you know them a lot better. So in some ways, it's easier than a child that you don't see all that often. But you know, children aren't just like Play-Doh. They don't just do exactly what you want them to do and become exactly who you want them to become, even if they're yours. And of course, unlike being a cool aunt or a volunteer, you never get to leave or take a break or tap out. And even if you do get those small breaks, you're still always on, right? You're still always doing the work of parenting, even if you got a babysitter for the night or managed to get away for a few days. 
So yes, it's different when they're yours. Sometimes it's easier when they're yours, but sometimes it's a lot harder when they're yours. And you also have to think about you are fundamentally changed when you have children. You will not be the same person that you are now. And that doesn't mean that you can't still incorporate the things that you do and love now into your post-kid life, but it's difficult. And even if you can do it, you won't be the same version of yourself. And again, that can be a great thing or a bad thing. I mean, Jack has made me a much better person than I was before he came along, for sure. But there's also a version of me that sort of died when I became a parent, um, because it had to, right? It couldn't, couldn't be that version who's, you know, going out to the bars all the time and, and partying. But there is that version of you that goes away. And maybe there's some creativity and freedom and flexibility that goes away with that. And you just really want to think through those implications to make sure you're not going to become a resentful parent. But let's just assume you're like, yes, thought all this through, definitely still want kids. So there are some logistics that you want to think through. First of all, what's your parental leave policy at work? Most companies offer leave to foster and adoptive parents now, but sometimes it's much less leave than a birthing parent would get, or it's largely unpaid. So think about that. If I do get a new baby by foster or adoption, what does that that leave look like? If you're going to be working full-time, how will you handle childcare and school? Now, we talked about the financial part of that equation a little bit earlier, but now let's think about the logistics of it. Some schools and some daycares don't necessarily align with work hours, like Jack's school. It doesn't start until 9.20, (laughs) and obviously most work days start before 9.20. Or some schools will start a little earlier, but they get out at 2.30 in the afternoon, and most people aren't getting out of work at 2.30 in the afternoon. So how would you handle that gap? How would you make that schedule work with your job? What might happen when you get sick or when there's an emergency? You know, with every nearly placement, with nearly every placement that I've had that's lasted longer than a few months, I have had some kind of situation where I physically could not care for my child. Whether it was a migraine, food poisoning, I've broken a bone. So you have to think about, do I have friends and family who are nearby and willing and able to help? And are they also readily available? Because being willing to help, but being able to help are two different things. For example, my mom is often willing to help, but she's elderly and has her own health concerns and limitations. So she can't always help in the the way that I need or want her to. Or I have other family that's willing to help, but they travel a lot for work, so they're often not available. So you need to think through the logistics of that. Maybe you don't have any friends or family that could make it work, but maybe you have enough money to where you could book emergency childcare or get a nanny who can sort of be on call. So just sort of thinking through the logistics of that. You know, similarly, what happens when the child gets sick and you need to stay home with them or you need to leave in the middle of the day for a doctor's appointment? Um, Do you have a job that allows you that flexibility Are you working for a company with a parent-friendly culture and and how will you make those adjustments? What about if you just need or want to travel? Is there someone who can care for your child for an extended period of time? That's one of the bigger issues that I've found, actually. I mean, there's the whole just wanting a vacation on my own, um, which just isn't going to happen (laughs) anytime soon because I frankly don't have anyone who can watch Jack for 24 hours or more. But there's also, you know, in my line of work, I do corporate communications. I am a 
pretty senior level professional at a very large global company. And um, I'm lucky that I don't have to travel too much where I work now, but there are many other roles at many other companies where I'd have to travel a considerable amount and those would never be an option for me because even if I wanted to take that much travel, I just simply couldn't. So you really need to think through how that affects your your lifestyle and your um, career as well. Also, just kind of philosophically, you want to think about what makes you happy in your life today and take a look at how that might change when you become a solo parent. Like, Look at your social life and your relationships. How might your friendships change or your dating life change? Would you be the first one in your friend group to have children or the last? Are you actively trying to find a partner if you're single? When you become a solo parent, especially in those first few years, your alone time is just so limited (laughs) if you have alone time at all. Um, So you have to think about how that will impact your interests, your desires, your relationships, and your quality of life. Even something as basic as being the kind of person who really likes sleeping in, that will change. And you need to think through, am I okay with that? And what are the implications that might have in other areas of my life? Now, this part is really depressing, but it's, I think, probably the most important thing to consider or one of the most important things to consider is what happens to you when you die and they're, if they're still children. This was a, um, a conversation that I just didn't like to have when Jack's adoption became official, but one that was really required of me to be a responsible parent. And that was figuring out who Jack's legal guardian would be if something happened to me, right? Hopefully I don't die until I'm like 110 and Jack is already a grandfather by then and it's all wonderful. But, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, any responsible parent needs to have some sort of, um, you know, legally outlined agreement of who is going to be the guardian of their child. Um, And so you have to think about, do I have friends or family who would be willing to be the legal guardians if something happens to me? And are they able to make it work financially and logistically? And are they going to agree to this and and know that this would happen, that they would be next up if something happened to me? So that's a really big thing that you want to think about. Excuse me. And then also another tricky thing to envision is what happens if your child has special needs? Um, When I say this, I don't want anyone to think that I'm... uh, (laughs) putting like the the death conversation and special needs into the same bucket, right? Having special needs or a disability is not a death sentence. And it can be very fulfilling to be a parent of children with special needs, um, as I know myself. So I, I don't want anyone to, to think that this is a negative conversation. But there are financial and logistical implications of a child who has special needs, depending on what those are. And so you want to think through if it turned out that something happened and my child needed accommodations or my child had had um, different difficulties that they're facing developmentally or um, medically, how would I handle that? Would I have resources available? Is that something I'm mentally prepared for? I often see people talk about, well, I I would adopt a healthy newborn, so I don't have to worry about that. And that's great. You can think you're adopting a healthy newborn, but things happen along the way. And there might be things that you just don't know about when a child is a baby or even a toddler. Um, So it's just important to think about and prepare yourself 
for all kinds of parenthood, for all kinds of ways your child might turn out and make sure that you've at least thought through the different scenarios that you could realistically face. And then of course, you want to think through your your physical and your mental health. I don't think many prospective parents consider their own physical and mental health before having children, but it is so important. Parenting is physically grueling, taxing work, and the emotional toll can be quite heavy, even in the most ideal circumstances when you're a solo parent. You know, one fun fact that I found Googling one night, and I remind myself of this every time we take in a foster infant, is that the U.S. military's sleep torture uh, program actually gives prisoners more sleep than you get with a newborn. So I went down this rabbit hole. There was a thing called Operation Sandman. Uh, It's what our U.S. military did to prisoners in Guantanamo Bay, unfortunately. And they woke prisoners up every two hours and they had them listen to the Sesame Street theme song 24-7. And that last part really made me laugh because I was like, that is exactly my schedule And my situation, when I have a newborn placement, I am up every two hours, sometimes more than every two hours for those first couple months. And yes, Sesame Street is also blaring in the background. So I would kind of giggle and be like, oh, this is is what my life right now is literally a military torture strategy. (laughs) Um, So before you kind of add more to your load, you want to make sure that you're in the best shape you can be, whatever that means for you. And I'm not suggesting you need to be a marathon runner or you need to go do CrossFit or anything like that. But if you've recently been diagnosed with a condition that maybe you haven't yet stabilized or you might need a major surgery soon, now is probably not the best time to start solo parenthood. And the same goes with your mental health. You can absolutely be you can absolutely be a wonderful solo parent with mental health challenges. I have really bad anxiety myself that I've had medication and therapy for in the past. But you've got to make sure you've got a handle on whatever you might be dealing with, that you have a great support system in place for your condition, and that you know your limits and your warning signs before you take this challenge on. So ask yourself, you know, mentally, psychologically, how will I do on reduced sleep? How will I do with the stress of a child who's throwing a tantrum, screaming at you, slamming doors? How can I, how will I react to that? What about dealing with my own anxiety if my child is sick or hurt? What about the isolation or the loneliness that you might feel as a new parent all alone? Physically, are you strong enough to carry the baby, the stroller, and the groceries? You know, it's so funny when I think back to when I first started fostering, my very first foster placement. While I was waiting for that first phone call telling me that there was a, a baby that they needed me, to, needed me to foster, I remember my biggest fear at the time, which seems so silly now, but it was so big to me, was how I was going to carry everything. At the time, I lived in this condo that was on the second floor, and I was like, okay, so I have to go from my car in the parking lot up two flights of stairs to get to the front door of my condo, and how can I do that by myself when I've got the baby and groceries and a diaper bag and my purse. Um, So I like really, that was a big thing for me is figuring out how I was going to do all that. It's, It's a lot to lug. So all of this might sound like I am trying to dissuade prospective parents or that I'm just talking about the 
the challenging sides of parenthood, but I promise I'm not. I am a way better person today than I was before kids. You know, Jack has blown my heart wide open and showed me a love that I literally never felt before and a love that I didn't know existed. Um, And frankly, a love that I don't think I'll ever match with anyone else that I might meet here on earth. Having Jack and deciding to become a foster parent before I met Jack was hands down the best decision I have ever made in my entire life, and I would do it all over again a million times. At the same time, it hasn't been without some really major sacrifices in all of the areas I've mentioned above, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, logistically. And because these are humans that we're talking about bringing into the world, and not animals you can rehome or houses you can sell or spouses you can divorce or a job that you can quit. <clears throat> Excuse me. You want to be absolutely sure that you have thought through it every which way in a very realistic, practical manner and pushing yourself to think through, oh my gosh, the adorable baby clothes and the cute nursery and the cooing little chubby cheeks, right? It's, it's way more than that. So I hope this was helpful for those of you who might be considering solo parenthood or really any kind of parenthood. And as always, I welcome your feedback, welcome your questions, comments, and ideas for future episodes. So you can find me on Instagram at efriedland, and you can also email me elizabethfriedland at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening.